Support for this NPR podcast comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, family-owned, operated, and argued over since 1980. Proud supporter of independent thought, whether that's online, over the air, or in a bottle. More at sierranevada.com. I'm Bob Boylan with All Songs Considered. Today, two new songs from Vampire Weekend and a conversation with Ezra Koenig, the driving force behind that band. There's a new album coming from Vampire Weekend, and by the time that album comes out, which perhaps is this spring, it'll have been six years since Modern Vampires of the City came out in May of 2013. Ezra Koenig was at NPR West in Culver City, California. I'm in Washington, D.C. And I begin this conversation by playing the shorter of the two new songs released today. It's called 2021. Point, point. 2021, will you think about me? I could wait to eat, but I shouldn't wait three. Boy, I don't wanna be. Boy, twenty twenty one, we think about us. Copper goes green, steel beams go rust. Boy, it's a matter of. Let's start off with real basic, like who's in the band? I assume just about everybody. And then how do you all work together? And maybe use this song as an example about how you... Sure. No, I, I like that. I like that concept that everybody's in the band. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the band is, yeah, it's like cosmic consciousness. We all, <laughs> we're all in the band. Um, in the studio, it, it's always different groups of people. I mean, there's a lot of very important collaborators, but my main collaborator on this record is uh, Ariel Rekshide, who co-produced the last one. Great producer, works with Haim, Adele, Blood Orange, I mean, you name it. Yeah. So I'll start with him specifically because that's a song that mostly he and I did. And that song is interesting because it's it's all built around a sample. And a couple of years ago, I came across this uh, very long, vibey song that uh, Harumi Hasano made, a very famous Japanese musician, and some people might know him from Yellow Magic Orchestra, but he's done a lot on his own too. This uh, I think a lot of people have come across this song the same way was just at the on YouTube and it was presented as this was music that he had made to be played in Muji stores in Japan in the 80s. So this music was composed to be kind of ambient tone setting music for the your shopping experience at Muji. And in the real song there's so much space and it's and so I, I said to Ariel, I was like I have this idea. I started writing something. Just sometimes that happens. I just start writing something on top of the music when I hear it. And so we we looped the sample and we kind of 
conformed it to our structure and then can I just stop down. you and just ask you which part was the sample just to be really clear is is it, it it's it, the main repeated synth part dun 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 okay then I added the melody and vocals we added the bass guitars we added the boy <laughs> and what's that a sample of or is that a sample of you or, the boy actually fun fact is Jenny Lewis <laughs> we we I wanted some type of like sample like that. I wanted something going like bow bow uh-huh. and I just heard something like that. I wasn't sure what word it should be and Ariel suggested boy and then, you know, we had Jenny come in and record it and we pitched <laughs> it and it's and it's weird. So we credited her as as Jenny Lewis hyphen boy. It sounds like it just came came about more in in a, in a studio setting. Is that more or less the way you're working or is that an anomaly? Well, actually, that's always been the way the Vampire Weekend works, um, at least since the second album. Most of our songs first are mocked up in Pro Tools before there's live playing on them. And then usually, almost every song we've made, going back almost 10 years now, has always been some mix of something composed or produced at the computer and then mixed with live playing. So... There's very few Vampire Weekend songs truly ever just got like writ- written in the rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. Certain ideas might come out of there, but yeah, we've always been a couple guys sitting in front of a computer screen type band. Although to be fair, I think that's how almost everybody makes music now. <laughs> and some of the themes that I, I've only heard two songs, so I don't know where this record and what this record is all about. But you sure do like to write about time an awful lot, and and um, mortality hmm. would be another. Uh, I think about uh, songs from the last record. There were a bunch like that, and and uh, uh, Diane. Um, oh, Diane Young. <laughs> Diane Young yes. was certainly the, the 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 epitome of that. But then on, on this, you know, you're talking about if I got the words right, you know, 2021. Uh, will you think about us and talking about copper going green, about things that happen over the course of time, rust, uh, steel things going to rust, and then. You, you don't know if you, you, you might be able to wait a year, but not three. And do you find yourself thinking about your, your I don't know how old you are. I'm going to guess your middle 30s would be. Yeah, it. I'm you, 34. You've also, and you've also just had a, a child. That's often the thing that <laughs> my memory serves me. That stuff just comes to the fore when you when you start to hit that age bracket. Is, is it that or have you always been? Cause, well, one thing I'll say is that, you know, having a... A baby that, given the time frame of how we work, that that we write all the songs were written so far in advance, and we just ended up working on them so long that gotcha. that actually didn't have any influence on the album, because we take so long to actually finish the songs. There's always a bit of a lag. So the kid will be so, eight when the next record comes out. Yeah, so may, <laughs> maybe when he's eight, yeah. then I could actually write some songs about what it's like to be a father, but not yet. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, who knows? I, I always think about that. Like, I, sometimes be, I think back to songs and you almost, you know, time kind of flattens out a little bit. And you think, well, I definitely wrote that lyric before that happened. Did I have a feeling that was going to happen? Did, or am I just hearing it through different ears now? You know, like there is a, a kind of flattening effect where everything, the timeline does start to get mushed up and everything just starts to feel like part of the same mood or or you know the the mood of the those couple of years or something um i've i've heard that before the the whole that write about time a lot and i it's never totally been a conscious thing i think it's just like 
I don't know. I, I guess in some ways, it's just such a classic thing to write songs about and to think about. You know, time. It's like the it's the the biggest mystery, the, right? Yeah, it's the mystery. It's the unit of life. So it kind of whatever an album is, is about or whatever the mood is, time is always an aspect of it. And I guess uh, when you take six years between albums, time time can be on your mind a little bit too. I'm gonna play just a bit of uh, Harmony Hall, a very different song. Again, tell me a little about the process. <laughs> this song I think starts off. Uh, taking a vow in the summertime, talking about December. Right, no, <laughs> true. We took a vow in summertime, now we find ourselves in late December. time for their great surrender but they don't remember anger wants a voice voices want to sing sinners harmonize till they can't hear anything thought that I was free from all that questioning but every time a problem ends another one begins and the stone walls are vomiting Snakes inside a place you thought was dignified. I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. There's that mortality thing again. Mm-hmm. Um, who is who is playing on this? And tell me about, a bit about uh, Harmony Hall. Oh boy, all sorts of people. I mean, the, because we make some of these songs over a long time, we're always adding little things. I mean, a lot of it's me and Ariel. Yeah. I mean, the the core of it, the main piano parts, which is actually how the song started, I, I play, and then the, the main acoustic guitar riff I play. But we also have some great people. Um, Greg Lees, who's a, yeah. kind of a legendary dude who's done a lot of great session work and live stuff. He plays guitar and a little bit of pedal steel on it. Who's doing the main uh, guitar lick, which, by the way, there's a two-hour loop somewhere. Oh, on. yeah. Oh, that's me. Yeah. That's, yeah. Me. <laughs> that's so, me. I just always found when... You know, you have to come up with a few of these ideas just to, you know, just to kill time before the actual song comes out. And sometimes in the studio when I would just hear it isolated, I'd be like, you know, that's nice. It's nice to just hear it by itself on loops. I thought maybe that'd be a fun thing to put up. Um, so that's me playing the main acoustic. But then later on, in the in the outro, only in the outro, you hear this like this other electric come in. And that's uh, Dave Longstreth from Dirty Projectors. And, y- you know, you actually, when, usually after I say it, people can hear it. He does this little, like, <laughs> is it right um, near the end of the song? It's, it's, the, it's the outro when, when, when my acoustic. Coming to see. That's just that little. That's awesome. You do a, uh, I don't know if you call it a podcast, but certainly a a radio show, we'll call it. uh, Yes. With his brother, yes. Right, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm close with both of the Longstreth's, and and, uh, Dave's brother, Jake, is a painter, but he's uh, my co-host on a a show we do on for Apple Radio called Time Crisis. Yeah, Time. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is a, a good deal of fun if anybody uh, hasn't heard it. And it goes anywhere and everywhere. It's a, it could be. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, <laughs> it could be about Doritos, maybe. Oh yeah, there's a lot sort of, of a lot of Doritos. So any on one the show. I could have put on it could have been about Doritos. Then. Yes, there's yeah. quite a few. Uh, you talked to some fourteen-year-old uh, fan on on a show. Uh, about their favorite music and I, oh yeah yeah we had someone call in there's a big fan who called in t- and broke s- down some of their favorite tracks we've had a, a very interesting array of guests everybody from Jamie Foxx to uh, this guy named Winter who's been to something like 16,000 Starbucks <laughs> he's an amazing guy we've actually talked to him twice really fa- well I bet he really talks fast too yeah yeah <laughs> That's insane. One thing you haven't mentioned is any of the Vampire Weekend people that when we see your band live, who. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what's up with, you know, Chris and what you tell me? Well, sure. I mean, I've been spending a lot of time with, with Chris and Chris and, and the rest of the crew because we've been rehearsing so Rustin? much. Um, well, I, I, Rustin, know he, I know he's not part of the band, but you well, guys Rustin, collaborate. Well, Rustin worked on the album. Yeah. He's, he did some other production on Harmony Hall, like the earliest part of, of putting some of that choir stuff in was was Rostam. And then there's another song on the album that, that we did together. So yeah, he's, he's on the album. We've got we've, we've still got a lot of stuff that we've been cooking up. But as far as the live show goes, there's still me, Chris, and Chris, but now we have kind of a seven piece because looking towards this album, we just knew we could not pull it off with four people. Uh-huh. And also, it kind of seemed more fun to get more people on stage like you know we did a lot we did a lot of touring with just four guys on stage and there's something about having seven people and a little more equipment it makes revisiting the old stuff more fun it makes interpreting the new stuff more fun so we toured a little bit last summer kind of out of just some obligations it's always a bit of a guessing game when you when you book festivals you hope your album's out but then Mm -hmm. (laughs) you might just miss that year so we did get a a kind of nice dry run playing a lot of the old stuff but we're really looking forward to this year because we're about to have 18 new songs in the songbook so this this record is 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 a double record well it's interesting i do ultimately i guess i consider it a double album it's yeah it's it's 18 songs and it's 59 minutes and you know i'm yeah i'm a little bit between generations so i do have a lot of reverence for the the classic double albums of my parents day you know bruce springsteen the river tusk exile main street like those are meaningful to me that i'm i'm so fascinated by those artists and that there was a moment in their career where they wanted to do 18 19 20 songs um but at the same time, and I also am aware it's 2019, and this is kind of the first Vampire Weekend album uh, to come out like in the, well, I was going to say in the Drake era, but maybe that's not entirely true. But anyway, you Certainly know, people... in the streaming era. So, yeah, yeah. And and so to that, now the, you know, the whole idea of, well, how many how many uh, records is the album right. is meaningless to that's a lot of people. The, you're right, you're right. That's all so so it's funny. So it's like, to me, there's a lot of meaning and like, this is our 18 song album. And then I, our kind of joke was like, you know, but for Drake, that's just a short album. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, right. so all these things, it's going to probably mean different things to different people. But I think for Vampire Weekend fans, they know that our first three albums were shorter. So it's not that extreme. It's 59 minutes. We're not dropping like right. the, you know, anything too crazy but it's still you know it's a bigger album and there, there's more ideas and more vibes happening and the instrumentation on stage would be what with those seven people well basically 
it's you know me chris and chris drums bass bass, guitar we definitely wanted an additional percussionist which actually now that we did it i'm like why didn't we do this years ago because even the old stuff there's so much extra percussion that kind of brings it to life so we have another guy named garrett playing with us who's play you know sometimes he'll hit drum set and see him and ct will just do double drums but also a lot of auxiliary percussion then we have another uh guy brian jones who's resurrected no brian a lot jones. younger he's, he's the young, yeah <laughs> but you know it's always a great name for a dude in a band yeah um brian plays guitar and then we got will kanzanari who's who's on keys and even the fact just to have an additional guitarist and keys and not make one person do both of those things it allows us to kind of it's funny, even just play some of the old songs properly. And then we got my cousin, my distant cousin by marriage, Greta, who's um, also doing some keys and guitar and backup vocals. So, you know, it's just like, there's kind of always something for everybody to do. It's, uh, but yeah, on a song like Harmony Hall, there, I honestly think it wouldn't, if we had 10 people, that might help like a tr- backup. Vo- but we're, we're, we're just about got it down with seven people. Well, if you ever want to bring those seven people to a little tiny desk, you're welcome to do that, too. Oh, yeah. I've heard about the, the tiny desk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you've crammed some some fairly big bands in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Seven wouldn't wouldn't be hard at all. So right. You're, you're, you're <laughs> open invite. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So yeah. all I know about the title of the record, it was uh, F-O-T-B. So I... I, I I guessed it. I mean, I have no doubt. It's uh, it's fall off the boat, right? <laughs> That'd be pretty good. I, there, there were so many fun guesses that. Oh, tell me more. Somebody said fun on the beach. That one just really. Okay. I found very amusing because yeah. I was like, if ever we just made an album called Fun on the Beach, it would just be, <laughs> it would just be so perfect. Yeah. Fall of the Bourgeoisie. That Ooh. was an interesting one. There was also. This one really blew my mind because I hadn't thought about it. This past summer when we toured, we already had some of the imagery for the album and you know, people will say have become very obsessed with a, a certain type of frog. And so we put a frog on <laughs> the bass drum. And so, you know, there's all these pictures of us playing at Lollapalooza and Fuji Rock and there's a frog on the bass drum. So some people just said frog on the bass drum and I was like, oh my God. I, I mean, it's... Right. What are the but odds? the And then a lot of people did guess correctly um, and, the, and it's a father of the bride. Oh. And why? Almost too many reasons to count. Uh, it's not a song title. Three reasons. Although one is just uh, fond memories of the uh, Steve Martin film, which I was a kid when that came out, and then I didn't see the Spencer Tracy one until a little later in life. But I guess for me, I can't remember exactly if, I, if, if one of the movies was on TV or I saw something about a wedding. I saw the phrase Father of the Bride somewhere, and I just started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, on one level, it, you know, it's the name of a comedy. It's, some, it's fun. It's almost lightweight in a way. Father of the Bride, you know, it's like, just makes it seem like a fun wedding or something. Mm-hmm. And then the more I thought about it, I started to almost feel like there were some biblical undertones to Father of the Bride. You know, like in the Old and New Testament, there, there's so much wedding imagery. And so many of the, the metaphors of religion are about marriage, the bride of Christ or, you know, God and the children of Israel. There's so much talk about marriage as a metaphor. And I'm not married. I've never been married, but you know, I do have a family, and I've been in plenty of relationships, like anybody. Lots, of, and I've had lots of human relationships. And I just started to think about Father of the Bride and that biblical idea of marriage, not as this like a literal thing, but um, but just as this very uh, flexible metaphor for just the relationships we have and the things we owe each other 
and you know how we relate to each other. So there was something that I started to like about that. Maybe also just this is the first album I made in my 30s and wanting to, you know, I think when people hear the whole album, see there's some songs are write more straightforwardly about interpersonal stuff in a way that maybe when I was young I always wanted to put a twist on and now I'm kind of more excited about some fairly straightforward ideas. So anyway, I liked Father of the Bride as, you know, just thinking about wedding imagery, but not literally a wedding, but just as, you know, this big metaphor. And then I thought more about, like, Father of the Bride. And, you know, when you think of Steve Martin, it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this, this bumbling, comedic dude. And then I thought more about Father of the Bride as just, like, in the metaphoric sense, like this this almost, like, scary figure. It's the past looming in the background. It's a moment of transition. These are the things when I started to feel like, you know, there, there's, like, a richness to this phrase. And... I always like coming up with the title early in the process because we had this working title, Mitsubishi Macchiato, that was helpful <laughs> yes, at first. Right. But then when I started thinking about Father of the Bride, you know, and I think all this stuff will make more more sense to people when they hear the whole album, but I, I always think with Vampire Weekend, I, I always like phrases and words where there's a very heady, pretentious flavor on one side, and then on the other side, there's just like borderline stupidity. You know, the, like the vibe of being, you know, I could talk about the Bible and psychology and all these things, but then I also like the idea of just, you know, picturing somebody just being stoned watching TV and be like, oh, Father of the Bride. You know, I, I like when there's a little bit of both. Thanks for doing this today. And I love the new music, so I look forward oh, to it. I can't wait for you to hear the whole album because obviously there's quite a bit more. Awesome. Be proud and congratulations Thank you. On, on being a dad. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Right, cheers. Ezra Koenig, the new songs by Vampire Weekend 2021 and Harmony Hall can be heard on our website in their entirety. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. And the stone was a family all bear witness. Anybody with a word in mind can never forgive the sight of wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon.
Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.